Hello everyone, and welcome to See It or Shove It. I am your host Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for, and there's another edition of Binge It or Singe It. It was a very, very busy week of movie watching, so let's get started. For our featured movies this week, an Oscar winner faces demons in The Pope's Exorcist, another Oscar winner has an unhealthy relationship with his servant in Renfield, a prisoner faces what could be his last day in Nefarious, and a group of environmentalists teach us how to blow up a pipeline. First up, Oscar winner Russell Crowe grabs a crucifix and his nerve to rid the world of evil spirits. This is the Pope's Exorcist. There's a case that needs your attention. Bring me the priest. I'm here to help, Julia. Take caution. There are secrets buried there. The church has fought against this demon before. The Vatican covered it up. Russell Crowe plays Father Gabriel Amorth, a journalist, author, and also the Pope's designated exorcist. Armed with an exorcism kit, the film opens as Amorth arrives at a home to rid a man of the demon that is possessing his body. He uses the typical powers of persuasion as well as an antagonistic tone to get the demon out of the man. We are then introduced to Julia, played by Alex Esso. She is a widowed mother of two who has arrived in rural Spain to settle the estate of her dead husband, who has left her a rundown abbey. When the demon enters into her son Henry's body, Father Amorth, along with his eager exorcism partner Father Escabel, are called to work their magic in exorcising the demon. When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a mild see it. The film itself is a pretty standard exorcism movie with the usual tropes. It is pretty predictable as to what is going to happen, so there is not any element of surprise there. And I didn't find it to be scary in the slightest. But then again, I usually don't find movies like this overly scary. In fact, when I first saw the classic The Exorcist, my reaction was, that's the movie that scared the shit out of everyone? The final act really almost tipped this to a shove it. It was just so ridiculous, and there's no way in hell this is based on a true story as it claims to be inspired by. If it is, it is very loosely based on a true story. But what elevates this film is Crow's committed performance that is peppered with humor throughout. He seems to be enjoying this role a lot more than he has been lately. It's almost like the producers were setting him up to be a franchise of Father Amorth movies. Uh, there's even a message at the end saying that he will be back. But I highly doubt that based on the box office performance from this past weekend. But hey, you never know. Next, a servant to Count Dracula feels his relationship has grown stale after several hundred years and he's looking for breakup advice. This is Renfield. God bless you, Mr. Renfield. Oh, God bless you, nuns. You're a hero. Well, but Montague Renfield. Let me explain. I work for Dracula. Count Dracula? It's the real 
Josh's cape? The cape is dry clean only, strictly. Yeah, I will wear this shit. This fly, yeah. Starring Nicholas Holt as the title character and Academy Award-winning actor Nicolas Cage as Count Dracula himself, Renfield sees Dracula's loyal assistant reaching a boiling point in their relationship. Renfield is tired of living the life of finding victims to bring to Dracula to consume, so much so that he has joined a support group on how to deal with toxic codependent relationships. Set in New Orleans, Renfield and Dracula have taken residence in an abandoned hospital and Dracula is having trouble keeping his strength because of the quality of blood in the victims he has brought. One night, while scouting a new victim, Renfield encounters a drug cartel and ends up getting involved in the chaos surrounding a drug deal gone wrong. This infuriates Teddy, played by Ben Schwartz, who is the son of the cartel boss, Bella Francesca, played by Academy Award nominee Shorey Agdashlu. Now, with a target on his back, Renfield must now deal with his narcissistic boss, as well as a drug cartel, hot on his heels. He turns to a vengeful cop played by Aquafina, who works with Renfield to try to take down the drug cartel, and she has reasons of her own why she wants to do it. Will Renfield find a solution to all his problems, or will he be facing the wrath of Dracula? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See-it! This was a fun, campy movie, and Nicolas Cage chews every piece of scenery he can in a performance that is gloriously unhinged. Cage has been having a nice renaissance to his career in the past few years, and Holt, who plays the beleaguered assistant to perfection, and the supporting cast does what they can in roles that, you know, aren't all that well developed. The gore level was super high, but it's really done in a comedic way. I was really excited for this film, but I did feel slightly let down as it wasn't as clever as I thought it would be. But while it wasn't the level I thought it was going to be, it was an enjoyable time at the movies. If you're at least interested in it, you might enjoy it as well. Next, a convicted killer meets with a prison psychiatrist to determine if he lives or dies. This is Nefarious. Execution scheduled for 11 p.m. He's trying to convince us he's gone insane. And therefore incapable of being executed. I need you to prove he's faking it. Edward? I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm not Edward. I'm a demon. Demons aren't really a thing. Sean Patrick Flannery plays serial killer Edward Wayne Brady, a man who has spent 11 years on death row and is now scheduled to be executed for his crimes. In order for this to happen, Dr. James Martin, a psychiatrist played by Jordan Belfi, needs to sign off that Brady is actually sane. Martin has taken on the case because his mentor, the man who was supposed to do this task, took his own life. With the warden warning Martin that Brady is a master manipulator, Martin goes into the cell very guarded and not in the mood to put up with any shit. Brady insists that a demon has taken over his body and that he isn't himself. Martin isn't buying it, even though Brady refers to himself as nefarious. In fact, Brady informs Martin that by the end of the day, he will have committed three murders. The doctor blows off the warning. Can he complete his job before the alleged murders happen? 
I give this film a huge shove it. I rarely get extremely angry and agitated by movies. Even with most bad movies, I'm just like, meh, that was a waste of time. This one, however, has left me furious. So much so, I walked out about two-thirds of the way through. This was an infuriating bait-and-switch faith-based film disguised as a horror film. The first half hour was intriguing with the murder prediction making me curious what he means and how it's going to play out. And then it started coming together. The first murder was the psychiatrist is reminded that he helped his mother kill herself in a patient-assisted suicide. And then the big whopper came. He reminded him that his girlfriend was currently on a clinic table receiving an abortion and the inmate goes all scorched earth with minute after minute of anti-abortion rhetoric including graphic descriptions of the procedure followed by sermons from parts of the Bible. Nowhere in the trailer was it even implied that this would be such a heavy-handed, faith-based lecture. And listen, I'm fine with these films being made for its intended audience, but what fucking pisses me off is when you are duped into hearing the message and having it forced down your throat. I am not an audience for this type of film, so I don't like being tricked into it. Give me the option to decide if I want to see this film, but don't trap me into it. I'm still pissed off, can you tell? Anyway, if this film sounds interesting to you, you may enjoy it. I, however, think it is a manipulative piece of shit. Ah, now that I've calmed down. Finally, our last film is about a group of environmental activists who are fed up with the effects of climate change and vow to do something about it. This is How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Faced with anger over the damaging environmental crisis the country is facing, a group of young self-described terrorists gather from around the country to plan out a scheme to blow up a Texas oil pipeline to send a message of protest. Based on a book of the same name by Andreas Malm, this film stars Jake Weary as Dwayne, a man who resents the pipeline because of a plan to run it through his property while ignoring eminent domain laws. Also join him are Zochi, played by Aurelia Bearer, who is a Californian who has been impacted by nearby refineries. She recruits her college friend Sean, played by blackish actor Marcus Scribner, as well as Theo, played by Sasha Lane, who is a woman dying of terminal cancer and can't afford treatment due to the corrupt healthcare system. Oh, don't I know about that system? Theo's girlfriend, Alicia, played by Jamie Lawson, joins the group as a source of support. Also part of the plan is a rebellious couple, Rowan and Logan, played by Christine Froseth and Lucas Gage. Remember him from uh, The White Lotus? He was great in that. Rounding out the group is Michael, played by Forrest Goodluck. Michael is a Native American from North Dakota who is known for making the lives of oil rig workers miserable as well as posting videos learning how to make homemade bombs. Will the group's plan come together without any casualties? 
When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see it. And I give this film a... See it! This movie was so intense, I found myself holding my breath throughout. The way director Daniel Goldhaber shot this is incredibly tense and leaves you on the edge of your seat. All of the actors are incredibly convincing in their roles, and the social messaging really makes you think about the cause for which they are protesting. Although maybe most people wouldn't be so extreme in the execution of their message, but it does leave you wondering. The film contains two twists at the end, neither of which I saw coming, which made for a very satisfying ending. I recommend catching this in theaters if it is playing near you. It is in pretty limited release, but man is it worth seeing. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, The Pope's Exorcist is in theaters now and is a mild see-it. Renfield is in theaters now and is a see-it. Nefarious is in theaters now and is a huge shove-it and just avoid it at all costs. How to Blow Up a Pipeline is in theaters now and is a see-it and is my pick of the week. It's one of the best of the year. Now, on to my brief take of some additional movies I've watched in my segment called Quick Picks. Sweetwater tells the story of Nat Clifton, the first black basketball player to sign a contract with the NBA. It is a standard by-the-numbers biopic that is accessible to everyone. In other words, safe. But it is an enjoyable watch, and I recommend it. It's a see-it. It's playing in theaters now. Sharper stars Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, Brianna Middleton, Justice Smith, and John Lithgow. And let me tell you, none of them are who you think they are. It is an engaging mystery that will have you piecing everything together right until the very end. I give this one a see it, and it is streaming on Apple TV. Now it's time for the segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind. Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a B-movie. The choices were Night of the Living Dead, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Evil Dead. You voted, and the film you selected is Night of the Living Dead. Welcome to a night of total terror. classic genre film, Barbara and Johnny, played by Judith O'Day and Russell Striner, are shown visiting their father's grave when they are attacked by zombies. Barbara is able to escape to an abandoned farmhouse where she meets Ben, played by Dwayne Jones, a man who is in need of gas. Unfortunately, they soon become surrounded by the zombies before discovering they aren't alone as they find five other people hiding in the basement. The film shows the power struggle among the group as they try to devise a plan for survival. Night of the Living Dead was released on October 1st, 1968, and was directed by the legendary George A. Romero, 
who became known as the father of the zombie film. Originally written as a horror comedy, the film developed into the Fright Fest it is known as. What is interesting is that, even though he is known for pioneering the zombie film, never once is the word used in the film. Made before the motion picture rating system was in place, the film was controversial in that children and teens were able to see it without any regulation, causing critics such as Roger Ebert to scold theater owners and parents for allowing this. Made for a paltry $114,000, the film ended up earning $30 million at the box office, making it one of the most profitable films of all time, and it spawned several sequels. Night of the Living Dead is available on Paramount Plus and Amazon Prime Video. Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is a silent film. The choices are Metropolis, Mel Brooks's silent movie, and the Oscar-winning The Artist. Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. Finally, let's move on to binge it or singe it. When a woman discovers her husband has disappeared, she is left with her stepdaughter to figure out where he has gone. This is Apple TV Plus's The Last Thing He Told Me. Your husband is not who you think he is. Why are you making him sound like some criminal mastermind? I may not know why your father did what he did, but I know who he is. He lied to me, and then he disappeared, and I want to know the truth. I'm telling you, we'll find him. Based on the novel of the same name, this series stars Jennifer Garner as Hannah, whose husband Owen, played by Game of Thrones actor Nikolai Coster-Waldo, has suddenly deserted his family just before an FBI raid on the company he works for. Leaving his daughter Bailey behind, as well as a note to Hannah instructing her to protect her, they are forced to piece together the reason for Owen's disappearance as well as his location. Complicating the situation, Bailey, played by Anjuri Rice, is resentful toward her stepmother and makes the search that much more difficult. With each new day, they both begin to learn that Owen may not be who he presented himself to be, and the series looks like it will have this all unfold each week with new plot twists and cliffhangers. The first two episodes are on Apple TV Plus now, and I'm a bit torn as to whether or not this is going to be something worth investing time in. I do love Jennifer Gardner. She just has a down-to-earth appeal as an actress, but this series seems to be a knockoff of better shows like Big Little Lies. And the character of Bailey is such a lazily written character as of now. It is nothing but a surface portrayal of the typical angry entitled teenager that we have seen countless times before. And the red herrings that are thrown at the end of each episode remind me of the far superior show The Killing, which is great. You should watch it. I believe it's on Netflix. However, I'm willing to give this one a shot because I do like mysteries, and if you do as well, you may enjoy this as an entertaining way to pass the time, but in terms of quality and freshness, I'm afraid this is probably going to end up being a singe it. If I change my mind about that, I'll report back later once all the episodes have been released. 
New episodes premiere Fridays on Apple TV. So that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. As always, I am so lucky to have you as listeners, and I thank you and appreciate you. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Follow me on Instagram at Theater Shove It, and you can also follow me under the same handle at Letterboxd if you want to see my 10-word reviews that I post after I watch a movie. And please don't forget to rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week. We're, there are tons new releases, including the Ari Aster Joaquin Phoenix epic, Bo is Afraid, Kelvin Harrison Jr. is Chevalier, and the latest installment in the Evil Dead series, Evil Dead Rise, is going to look to terrify me. I hope it succeeds. That's it for now. Be well and have a great week, everyone. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.